All right. Hi, everyone. I'm not, Hello. I, I assume we need these so you can hear us, yeah? So I'm Daniel. I'm Wolfgang. Yeah. And we're just here to mainly do a Q&A, but I was asked to give a little introduction, so I will. Yeah. Um, two and a half years ago, I got the job as artistic director, and this is my first season. And the question was, why are we singing and what are we singing? And I noted that it was the armistice. And uh, Benjamin Britten is sort of our unofficial house composer because we sing in English and Latin and Sanskrit. And so it felt like a really interesting match. But in my own career, I always love working with visual artists, which is very different to me than a theater designer because a visual artist thinks in a completely different language than a theater designer. And when I looked at War Requiem, I thought, okay, a chorus of 80 adults, 40 children, three soloists, that is a huge part of the design. I don't need a lot, a lot of architecture and ramps and doorways and staircases on stage. What I need is a surround and some sort of architecture that will allow the dance, the movement of 130 bodies to take greater meaning. And Wolfgang's exhibition had just been at the Tate, where he's an associate. And lo and behold, I got his phone number. Uh, and uh, we, were, we were hooked up. And um, I think I'll leave it at that for how this, how and why this came together, and maybe turn it over to Wolfgang to speak a bit about from that point um, till now-ish. Um, yes, so for me, it was very important to uh, um, respect the fact that this was not written as an opera by Benjamin Britten, so I didn't want to over-interpret it um, or be too symbolic or make things that, um, yeah, that would set us up for being shot down, for being disrespectful to, um, you know, a kind of a, a work that is held as a national treasure, really, in this country and, and worldwide. No, it is much loved. Um, and um, what was also important to us was uh, to keep um, to keep it not fixed in a particular period in uh, the last hundred years so um, um, when I was asked uh, um, by Daniel I asked back like what does this portfolio entail um, and he said basically everything you see on stage everything because it's a black it's it's an empty hole and there's nothing there and everything that we put there you design so it goes from uh, the dagger uh, to um, um, dev devising these three LED walls um, that together with a 20 meter back projection create this sort of architecture and arena in their different configurations um, but it also in, um, in, in, uh, included the costumes, um, which I was happy about that I could sort of d uh, direct that. And I asked my friend Nasir Mazar to join as the costume designer. And together, Daniel, Nasir, and I, we um, designed, not, not, we didn't design, but we really thought about how can we make clothes that don't look First World War, that don't look Second World War, that don't look painfully wannabe now. Um, and, and I'm so um, proud of Nazir, so, so grateful um, what he ultimately achieved. Um, I, I, will, I want to add, and then unless you want more, we'd open up to your questions. I just want to add, I hope you can glean from um, what Wolfgang just said, that it was important to us when we first met as well, I being American by birth, him being German by birth, working with a lot of British people, uh, a Chinese-American choreographer and a Belgian dramaturg, that it wasn't just about the British relationship to the war, uh, which is a very specific relationship and a very important relationship right now with the armistice, but this was about, I hope you can see from the show, wars then, now, and tomorrow, the cycle of violence. This was about, as an American, terror in our schools. This is about so many levels of violence and in society. And for me, and I think for Wolfgang, uh, for the team, we kept finding in Britain's music and in Wilfred Owen's poetry that question of when do we stop the cycle of violence? 
When do we stop handing the knife down to our children? And how? Because that violent impulse is, an, is an, 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 a part of who we are, perhaps. So we wanted it to be bigger than just World War I. And in particular, you might have noticed there were no poppies in the show. And that was a really intentional choice to, uh, uh, the poppy has an incredible place in our society, but what about other statements that can help round it out to other people as well? Does anybody know the white poppy? Um, I picked one up at the Quaker meeting house uh, just up the road. Um, and it's, it says, um, remembering all victims of war. Um, you know, I think that's still a little bit painful, I find, no? how every nation primarily remembers their own victims, their own fallen. Uh, but um, um, Britain and Owen were both deeply pacifist, and, and there was such a disgust at war and what led to it. Um, and there is a deeply anti-nationalist, anti-militarist um, message to this piece. And that, of course, carries a lot of um, currency right now. We can keep talking for hours, but why don't we see if you have questions that you want to pose to us? Um, I'm interested in how you curated those images. They seemed incredibly specific, but were also didn't necessarily always link one through to the next. Or I mean, I know the piece is kind of episodic in that sense, but where did you start with those finding those specific images? Mm. Um, I mean, the, the the beginning is this book, um, War Against War. Um, by Ernst Friedrich, which was published in 1927, which um, shows the shocking true face of the First World War. Uh, and sometimes on the left-hand page shows the, the hopes and the perceived uh, glamour of war, and then on the right hand, uh, the sad um, pity of war. Um, and I guess that was... Um, and then... We early on took a trip to Coventry Cathedral, and that was incredibly um, moving um, to see um, the ruin, but also the modernist new cathedral, um, and uh, and the hope in that building, um, um, and how Coventry had become um, a place for reconciliation and peace, um, and also the litany of Coventry. Um, it's something worth looking up, um, and um, so that left a deep impact on me, and so I went back to film and photograph there, um, and, um, and then, uh, yeah. I mean, he's just answered it. Uh, the first Requiem Eternum is the book, literally, and then we let the... The, the poetry of, of Wilfred Owen speak for itself, mainly with the kind of an abstract light texture throughout the opera. And then Diaz Irae, the kind of 30-minute movement, number two, as, you, as you'll remember, if you don't know Covenant Cathedral, that is the cathedral, and, and, and Wolfgang Iris is into this incredible small rock he found uh, with moss on it, which became, uh, I guess, a battlefield to me. And then the Srebrenica image was there. And the Srebrenica image was a really incredible discovery for both of, both of us. And in the program, there's a woman named Kada Hotek. It was just lying in the, the, in the Peace Chapel, right? The Peace Chapel at Coventry. And it was these stories of these women, which, of course, Britain, it's, it's so poignant that Britain separates the males and females. And you start to get the female story of war, which is very different even today than the male story of war. And that kind of unfolded almost all of Diaz Irae. Somehow those images from the cathedral, I feel, inform that. And someone over here said it beautifully, it's very episodic, isn't it? Um, I feel like the last four movements kind of unfolded very organically in terms of simplicity, because we set up so much in Requiem Eternum in Diaz Irae that you're able to have that funereal sky the 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 lamb the the sheep of Wolfgang's is a very famous photograph of his that I knew before I met him and it was that first design meeting when you're kind of like can we use anything that's existing and famous <laughs> of course wanting new things but being so drawn to an artist's work for some of their iconic imagery and then literally in one of our meetings one day because he would fly over I don't know once a month or once every six weeks he'd fly over to London 
I was chatting away in my American style, and he was being silent and quiet and tender in his German style. And I was playing the music from Libera May, and he literally had a notebook. And if you work with Wolfgang, one thing you'll realize is that he's at all times iPhoning or photographing. <laughs> all, all times. You're always up for a photograph. So just look good every day. Uh, or just stop caring, which is what I had to do. Um, but he literally was taking his iPhone on the folder that was blue, I think. Green. Was it green? And he was moving it up and down. I didn't know what he was doing. And then about, whatever, two weeks later or something, he's like, what if we use this video? For, for Liberame, what if the whole piece becomes so simple that it's just about the, the, the whatever quality that light gives you? And that was an incredible, because it just really came from the music, which we were always, of course, going back to. But that, that's a, a mini summary through the show. Um, I really enjoyed the show. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. Um, I was wondering, with some of the aspects, like the snow in particular, um, but also the scale of the LED screens, um, how much you think about uh, or think in, in terms of cinema or like expanded cinema or if that's a big influence. Uh, um, oh, <coughs> before I answer, I must, of course, correct Daniel. I'm not actually photographing all the time. Um, <laughs> but but in, in the meeting, somehow, I, you know, there was something that I was noting all the time. I was thinking, I guess I was thinking visually. Um, and, um, and yeah, so this, there was a, um, I mean, I just felt the music in that moment and, and just filmed this abstract film. Um, and I later thought, was this some artificial gesture? Was, was I trying to feel something or did I really feel something? And, uh, and I did. And so um, that somehow gave strength to that simplicity, I guess. Um, um, but um, it's not a constant grazing, fishing, and taking pictures. Um, and um, hmm? often, um, but um, I mean, what I noticed is that, of course, opera precedes cinema, no? and and it must have been, you know, the only well, theater and opera was like this animated pictures. No, they, they are, it's a picture frame, but the difference is, is that it really is alive. No? And the children in the snow is like, it's so cine cinematic, no? but it's alive, it's incredible. And, uh, um, and the, um, the snow, you know, there, there were nice uh, ways how we both allowed each other to interfere in each other's work, uh, which I had no idea if that would happen. But like the snowdrop was, for example, something that Daniel proposed, um, and you welcomed me um, um, suggesting movements of people, uh, figures, um, and, um, and so people always think that there's a lot of drama and ego. I mean, there may be some, but it was super cooperative, no? um, and uh, in terms of cinema, I mean, I didn't think, we, did, we, I mean, we wanted to make sure that this is, the subject matter is as valid and uh, relevant today as it was uh, 70 years ago, and uh, that's why there are flashes of the now, no? the, the hooligans, um, the 1990s, Yugoslav war, um, but we didn't want to make it particularly now. Hello. Um, there is one particular thing that I really noticed and enjoyed, and being, you know, opera, being inside of the opera house and um, really trying to reach the audience and um, the moment where the chorus was singing, the children's chorus in the back, and then the moment where the whole space, the opera house, lits up, um, it really, it really, Take, it, it really took me into the whole, like, you know, it, it, it embraced me in the whole experience. It, it really changes um, the audiences as passive and it, like, it really takes you in. And I'm just really curious how you thought about this and about really embracing and using the whole space of the Opera House. Well, I'm glad you liked that moment because I have, oh, we've always had uncertainties about that moment. Um, 
you know, I grew up in America and there's an old saying in America, which is like, bring on the kids, down the aisles. And it, it can be a bit of a trick, you know? And, but very early on with the conductor, Martin Brabens, who's not able to be here today, he said, remember in this score always that the children are written literally in a different time zone. They are not singing with either of the orchestras on stage. There's a harmonium. They're supposed to be in a different location. And Britain wrote it with them at the back of the cathedral. And I think that that's one of the big metaphors for me, which informed me early on, which is that Britain's trying to get to this other side. I think Britain actually literally was talking about Eden and the Shire and getting back to a time of innocence. Does that make sense? So the children were always this distant thing. But of course, the conductor, I was like, there's no way I'm not putting those kids on stage. But it felt at the end, and we really restaged the entire ending, didn't we, two weeks ago, when we all saw it for the first time in the studio. I, we'd had everyone come to the edge of the stage and close the LED screens like the end of a book, and those bluebells were in a huge line. And we were like, ooh, it's going to baptize the audience with sound. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so overwhelming. And then the conductor pulled me aside and said, you're not really honoring Britain's complexity, which is that all those people are finishing the mass with the soprano, the tenor and baritone are like in this world in between. They've just left purgatory in the, in the traditional analysis of the, of the piece, say, think what you want. And the kids are literally Hamlet, the flights of angels singing them to their rest. So I went away for like 24 hours and was like, come on, you can, there, there's a better choice on offer, which has taken me many years as an artist to switch to that versus defense mode, which is my choice is best. But that, again, that's the joy of working with someone like this whose mind you respect so much. When they drop a seed in your mind that you're like, I don't know what that means, instead of reacting instant, you go, that's a gift, that's a piece of gold. What am I gonna learn from Wolfgang Tillmans? What am I gonna learn from the conductor? So when we got in the space, it all made sense. And there was this sense of the children being at the back were like pulling those men. The men were transitioning, is what some of us think, you know? And everyone else was left on earth. And this thing, is so incredible by Matcham, our architect, you know. It is a dome, and this is where the conversation could get a bit loopy, so brace yourselves, but I really believe in the metaphysics of space and sacred geometry, and this theater is a temple of sorts. And from that dome pours blue water down these balconies into, you know, the, one of my favorite definitions of life is water experiencing water because we're, we're all made out of water. And so it felt like a risk. And I recall in tech, I don't know if Wolfgang does us both being a bit like, can we get away with that? Can we not get away with that? But I'm so happy that it felt right to you today to kind of have the audience be in the cathedral, I guess is what it is to me. Being really careful about the incredibly multi-faith cast on stage and in, in this incredible city, do you know? So uh, a, a theatrical cathedral to me. Yeah, I was really struck by the kind of um, the difference in look to all the performers. Was that a conscious choice from the beginning? Because I really liked that. I think that added to the element of it being like past, future, kind of current. Was that sort of a conscious choice from the beginning? It was um, <coughs> a lucky coincidence, um, but it always takes uh, somebody to recognize the potential of a coincidence, and um, others let it pass. But Daniel uh, recognized the potential that they were producing Poggy and Bess at the same time, and there is a chorus uh, which um, um, consisted of 40 uh, black uh, men and singers and women, and um, and so they were... Um, that was the only way ENO could even afford to have like 120 um, singers uh, at the same time. And, uh, and then there was, of course, questions and thinking like, should this be pointed out that it is uh, so diverse or should we not point it out? And what does it look like? And, and you know, we couldn't quite imagine. And it just, uh, from day one, when I saw the cast together, I felt like it's so natural because these are people, this is humans. And uh, so the um, um, soprano with a white soprano with a black child. No, yeah, no, of course, this is a child. No, we are humans. No, it's, it's really um, yeah, nice that you say futuristic no, because it's a reality. I thought it was um, the. 
I just think it's a huge, huge... Um, it was just really refreshing to see it and it be um, very natural as well. I didn't feel... I didn't feel it was pushed and I... I just really respected it and um, I think it adds to what you were saying earlier about it, you wanting it to uh, kind of uh, be for everyone, like you were saying about the poppy, like that adds the element of not having the poppy in it, that having that cast kind of puts that notion forward. Yeah, it was really good. And the flag was of course also a discussion, like um, not to have a union jack not to have an American flag. Um, then we tried white, but then white is also capitulation. And then um, uh, in the end, um, I suggested the UN blue um, and sort of all flags. No? Hi. Um, thank you so much for this show. It's, um, it's devastating in a way, uh, and at the same time full of hope. So um, uh, my question is uh, related to the, the previous one. Um, can you tell us about how you directed the, all these people? So 80 adults, 40 children, and, and especially to put them in such images. Some of them are really, really um, disturbing, I would say. and and. I mean, from, from an audience perspective, it's, it's a gift that we receive. But I, I was wondering, I mean, sometimes when you have to represent this as a big chorus on a stage, how did they receive these ideas? Well, I mean, I have the benefit of working with a chorus who are a full-time company at this opera house. You know, 40 of those people know me, have done my work, trust me. Uh, know that the production has been through quite a few presentations and that it's considered when they walk in, you know, and they know that I'll keep them safe. Um, the Porgy Ensemble were just hungry and passionate and delighted to be doing two shows, do you know what I mean? And getting this incredible feature to sing Gershwin and Britain. There was a lot of passion. Same with the kids. I mean, the kids were just raring to be center stage. Too many of them raring to be center stage. Can't all fit there. Um, but I would say it's, it's all about, as an opera director, day one, when you do the design presentation, your first hour and a half, that is the most important moment of my job. If I give a stellar, passionate, inspiring, crystal clear design presentation, and they are sold on the idea, they will follow me into the woods. Do you know? And so I'd done that presentation probably eight times before I got to them five weeks ago, six weeks ago now. And I gave my presentation with all of my passion and all of my clarity, all of my references. They'd had a 117-page uh, research packet of so soldiers' stories from the war. So they'd, they'd had a lot of opportunity to come with how much fuel and fire I was going to be offering and asking for. Uh, I gave that presentation with my most car salesman American self, like really passionate. I, as a director, and this is probably something that's very different about our mediums, if I offer my blood to my performers, they will give me mine, theirs. I have the, un, you know, I've got a dead father in my left back pocket and a dead stepfather in my right one and plenty of very humbling truths that I've experienced in my life that maybe help me direct some of those scenes. And I share those with my performers very candidly, not dramatically, but I share them. And I think they then feel very safe to follow me and vice, you know, that they can trust me. After that though, the second most important thing that I did for trust was we had a military consultant on this show, um, Nikki Moffat, who is the highest ranked female uh, member of the British military ever in world history. She happens to be my neighbor I met her via adoring her dog in the courtyard. And Nikki gave a two-hour presentation on World War I, on the wars then and now, on burying soldiers from Afghanistan who she went to serve with, on her uncles who she lost in the war, on great-grandfathers who she lost in the war. And we then opened up the floor to the chorus to talk about their 
uh, stories in a much more private manner. And so I think that everyone from the beginning was able to see that their story was welcome. And um, I think it was really important for some of the Porgy Ensemble members to recognize that uh, we weren't just talking about World War One, where there were incredibly amount, amount, there were incredible black soldier stories who were completely forgotten, but the ongoing wars, the ongoing violence, and you know, if some of the Porgy mem members are from America, and this piece played in America, I think would almost be dangerous. Do you know? This, this piece would be very dangerous in America, meaning the racial tension is so profound and the, the violence against children and, and against African Americans. So uh, that's a, how I think trust was built. Does that answer it enough? Because then at the end of the day, you say, stand up, right, everyone's going to lie down here. You kind of have to cut through it at a certain point. Not making jokes, but then it's like five, you know, eight counts to go down, everyone lie down, give me a more broken shape. Everyone knows what you're saying. And you do it with, with, with gentleness. Um, on a lighter note, I would like to ask you about, um, there was this one scene with a um, very organic sculptural thing where the kids were standing on and there was this cloth there. Do you mind to explain that a little bit more, elaborate on that a little bit more? Um, that was, um, um, I mean, I was in the end working very much with pictures or with, uh, with surfaces, light surfaces. Um, but um, I wanted to contrast that with one um, very sculpt sculptural moment. Um, and um, I wanted to bring an abstract shape onto the stage um, that um, could stand for the other, the unknown. Um, and it's, it's a kind of um, uh, matter that um, um, I didn't want to invent a shape, so I took um, an organic shape and we enlarged it to this um, seven by five meter um, object, um, which, uh, which then by changing the color, uh, I saw it as some sort of molten, Lava, uh, we, we also refer to it as, as wasteland sculpture. It went through different interpretations, but it was sort of the other to me. And then um, the uh, other picture that we very early on all could get excited about was the picture of the um, women post-war uh, carrying, not post-war, post-after attacks, uh, carrying the bricks, passing bricks, passing debris. and. Um, and um, um, Daniel, um, you wanted to have them carry away the debris, and um, and at some point it became important. Uh, I realized uh, that the the uh, debris, the human humanly mangled matter, should be brought onto stage and should be piled up, and and that there's this sort of um, opposites of this sort of organic molten shape, and. Uh, um, human destruction of matter. But, but I, let me uh, jump in and add something, because I think it's interesting to, for you guys to see how his mind, and why I don't love always working with theater designers versus an artist who thinks in, without theater rules, which is what we'd, we'd spent like two months building all those bro broken I-beams, which clearly for me as an American come a little bit from the World Trade Center and 9-11. And we were so proud and we had like all these props departments like doing a demo and carrying them off and timing it. It has to be four minutes to get all the debris off stage. And we, you know, send the video off to wherever Wolfgang is in New York. And I get this phone call and it's, it's just one of those fabulous moments where again, a younger self of mine would have been like, oh, we said we're going this way and you're saying go that way. But he was like, mm, it's a little bit anticlimactic almost to start with a the illusion of debris. Do you know what I mean? In the theater, like it was actually gonna be so pathetic, like, ooh, there's our destroyed city on the stage. And it was such an incredible moment for my mind when he kind of challenged me and said, what if we never get to see the bomb site? All we see are the th is a certain amount of material coming on stage and being organized, because we never see that in photographs, do we? And what I love about that is he took away what a normal theater designer would do, is to, to create the illusion of the bomb site 
and that was left, that didn't even need to be referenced. And instead we ended with, for me, this kind of huge organic matter and then this very organized man-manipulated matter. And that interested me in a sense with the children and the adults. But again, it was one of those incredible moments when this mind comes at you in a completely different language than you would normally receive. But instead of saying no, and this is a life lesson, just open to the new idea open to it. Because even then, like, Wolfgang was never, even if I'd opened a new idea, he was always still questioning it. It's one of my favorite things about you as well, is that he's always, I don't know if the term is mistrusting, but asking a question from every angle about each statement we're making, which is something that I think theater and the visual arts share in common. Just like another really small question, um, with that, there was this one scene where it says, Father, forgive. Um, on the screen, and uh, I was just wondering, was it a conscious choice to make the forgives E a little bit bigger than all of the other fonts? Um, no, that, um, that is actually a photograph from the Coventry Cathedral. Um, the morning after the uh, bombing, the, um, I always forget the word, it's not a cardinal, not a vicar, it's something... Bishop? bishop? Yeah, the, the bishop... Um, um, wrote Father Forgive into the nave of the burnt out cathedral and um, and then later on the names uh, the, the letters were um, chiseled into the um, uh, into the masonry work and that's the typeface they used and I photographed it and then we cut them out and and the other day someone came up to me and said you might want to be careful with that font it's the same as Father Ted and I swallowed my pride and said, I think you'll find Father Ted might have taken it from Coventry Cathedral, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to go back to the um, Srebrenica thing. So you say by chance you found the leaflet in Coventry. Um, if you hadn't found that, were you already planning to directly reference that war, or would you, I mean, I know you can't say what would have happened if you hadn't found it, but were you planning to make very explicit references um, to that war, or possibly not, you can't say? Um, no, I mean, that, that wasn't a plan, um, but, um, but the plan, there was a plan to have a, a balance of different... Um, different times um, of the last hundred years um, and, um, and to have um, an activist voice in it. I mean, I think that was clear to me. I wanted to have that side of myself or, or, or that, that my, my admiration for that sort of activism present. Um, and, um, and it was just like a gift but you have to be able to see the gift, to recognize it. No? And then that, that flyer had been designed in this uh, extra-wide um, shape. Um, yeah, it was just um, yeah, a gift. No? And it, I mean, it just looks so strong there. No? And, um, um, but it... it um, um, I mean, I guess the, the creative process in general is about making decisions. No, it's, uh, it's on the one hand to be as open for as long as you need to be or want to be, but you also have to at some point be very decisive and just say that that's it, and that is actually enough. And, um, and that was uh, um, like a very uh, deep experience here to, to learn um, to actually then accept, okay, that is all I do and I don't need to do more. And there might be people thinking that, oh, that like these five minutes of this gray light um, on the screens is, is nothing. No? But, but I mean, I, I felt so proud this morning, no? like seeing them two stand there and there's nothing changing and it holds and it stands and you can, if you are open to see the nuances in the, in the different shades, um, you know, it becomes incredibly rich, no? and to others it's incredibly boring, but you have to make a decision. And I think, to reflect back my experience of the process with Wolfgang is, I was on a very, I know how to create an opera, that's my job, so I know what deadlines we have to meet, so I kind of have to sometimes push me, like, no, 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 we have to have these images ready, we have to have something, just knowing to get him, get it all in a shape, 
And then we went through a process where we took all the stills and put them in a kind of a live video with the music, which I knew once he started to get into, he'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and then I, we got about three edits of this video when each time he'd be he'd kind of like, surprise, he'd drop five images, try something new, which was great. It was always wonderful. And then I was kind of waiting for it. He arrived in rehearsal and he watched one rehearsal and he's like, we're dropping all the text. It was just a, this thing that his first impulse was to highlight some of the poetry. And it was like, no, we're dropping all of it. And I was like, mm, okay, surprise, surprise. And, but that, it's a beautiful thing that all, I think all of us go through in theater and opera is distill, 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 distill. Cut away your darlings, cut away your darlings. What do you really need to have? And that last choice to get to nine minutes when you, we are so, weren't you, with the tenor and baritone, every word they're saying there somehow without having had a story has meaning to us. And I agree, the gray box for me has almost the most meaning. So, but he really did distill, distill. One, one bit of text uh, stayed, no? and all the seed, and half the seed of Europe, one by one. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, that was the very first idea, not to like stick very close to the words and so make pictures of the words. Um, and, um, and like Daniel said, no, I cut them all, but this one bit is staying there. And the Father forgive. Um, I just had a question in terms of uh, directing. I, I'm not sure. Are you only an opera director or anything? No, no, I started oh. off in theater uh, and dance. I was actually a dancer for eight years. And so everything for me is physical theater. It's all about the dance of the human body. And then opera, I came to only in 2008. Okay. But the difference is that opera allows this scale and this scale, whereas theater is just much smaller. You know, and an eighth of the budget to achieve <laughs> <laughs> What is the budget? Unless you're doing it the wrong way, and I know I'm not really interested in commercial entertainment. It's, it's important, and I, it's great to have it, but it's not what I want to do. Okay, because I, I was just interested in, like, for example, when the kids come on stage, when you direct it, do you give them a context for where they are and sort of... Because I know there's a lot of different influences, like the the poetry and uh, the Latin and then the music, it's all coming together through like the um, commonness of war. But um, how did you sort of direct them for, uh, in terms of the context? For the kids the specifically? Well, in general, I think I'm just curious. Well, let me, let me start with the kids because you know, it's 2018 and how we direct and interact with children is so importantly mapped out. There's so many important rules. And you're not telling the kids every five seconds, now lie down and die, now lie down and die. You're putting it in terms of games and sleep and now mommy and daddy are waking you up and now you're putting them to bed. You're keeping a safety barrier of appropriateness. Do you know? Those kids never saw the images in the first scene. That, that would not be appropriate. Do you know? and, and I've done that before with kids and you have to keep it really safe. And also in 2018, how the adult chorus of 80 touched those kids is a major slow motion event. You know, permission to touch is huge in our society. And that was actually the hardest thing, was to actually get the adults to feel safe with the kids' vocal permission, with their mentors in the room saying, you can hug me, you can kiss me on the head, it's fine, I have no problems with it. We still had to really gently work in some chorus members to really feel safe and that that was appropriate. And, and, that, you, and you can't force that. And there are some kids which aren't, aren't touched therefore, which is fine. Um, with the adults, of course, they're singing in Latin, which they're desperately learning every night. But I'm speaking to them in emotional context and subtext. I'm, I'm setting up different situations. And, you know, I would say that the, the, the five situations that I used repetitively, because I know they have kind of a shorthand to the actor's gut, would be World War I images, which we looked a lot at, World War II, specifically images of the Holocaust, that whole circle imagery and the walking and the falling down, the tsunami. The tsunami was a big thing, the Boxing Day tsunami, what was that, 2001? That was a huge, four? That was a huge thing that kept coming up about just the, and the nature destroying nature. Can you kind of see that theme in the show, like those trees? That came up a lot, and 9-11 uh, came up a lot, and the ongoing situation in Africa came up a lot. So we would use those contexts to discuss what kind of image we're gonna plug into, because I, I would hope you see, for me, it worked like a physical poem 
there was lots of repetition of themes without a clear story, but you're like, oh, they're down again. Oh, they're dead. Oh, they're sleeping. Oh, there's one person walking through. Oh, they're discovering a body. Oh, now we're waking up. Now we're moving bodies. Oh, now we're moving dead bodies. Oh, now we're all waking up again. The, they, they know exactly where they are, each movement in their head. They have an exact location in an exact period, I think. Or that's, they appear to be doing it very well. <laughs> Does that kind of give a sense? Yeah, great. Um, I really loved, the, uh, my favorite bit was the foam and from the sea. I just kind of wanted to know a bit more um, about what that meant for you and kind of how you came about it and just a bit more information on that. Um, I, I guess it's, um, I mean, part of also what I do is to allow not knowing you know, not being able to verbally explain, um, even though there is, I mean, Daniel was more verbal when he saw it. Um, um, he saw, you know, this, he saw kingdoms turned over, turned upside down, you know, like uh, seemingly solid structures being nothing but air. Um, and um, I allowed him to think that and to continue thinking it. Um, but I hope you saw something else. Maybe you saw that. You saw, you know, there's, there is, I mean, there is also a sense here of maybe a, 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 a summer holiday film, a Super 8 film I got when I saw it here. You know, like memories lost, uh, an innocence lost or something. Um, but, um, and of course, the power of the sea, of, of this, uh, even though I didn't, think of it in the tsunami sense, but this washed away and then the hurricane after on the second curtain, the hurricane destroying trees that took 100, 150 years to grow, um, just like military can destroy something in a split second. What did you think? Um, I loved it. I'm from Devon, where it's like red cliffs and yeah, like we're the train line it goes along the cliff so sometimes if it's really bad storms you have the the waves coming up onto the and hitting the train and um so yeah sometimes i go down there when it's like really rough and i just watch the sort of waves going on and it don't know it just um evoked a kind of feeling of it just like kind of what you obviously got the idea of it it kind of the foam coming up and then sort of going back and going to nothing um, and going back to calmness again, because then the next morning it would just be calm and still, um, kind of how, yeah, society keeps going back, but then it will sort of explode again, because we just have that nature in us. Yeah, I just liked it a lot. <laughs> Can I, again? <laughs> um, yeah, I have a question for Wolfgang and another one for you. But they're related. Um, had you ever worked with the um, with the uh, conductor and uh, music like this before? Uh, is this new, and uh, how did it work for you? And also, and my second one is, uh, there's a uh, great, really great moment where with the children leaving and um, and uh, to the sound of left, right, left, right. I presume that's not in uh, Britain's score. <laughs> um, and how did that work also with the, um, with the musical director? <laughs> I'm too intrigued what's going on. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yes, no, it is a first uh, to work with um, um, classic um, music piece. Um, I have done um, a time-based music piece um, last March 2017 at the South Tank in the Tate Modern, where I made a 100-minute uh, installation of sound, uh, light, and video, um, which uh, was exactly the time when the invitation came. And so I felt, I guess, um, confidence um, somehow that I wanted to deal with this whole array of, um, of ingredients, but um, so it, it meets, this whole project met me at a time 
when I myself um, was rediscovering my interest in making music as well. Uh, the, the transitions just happen really slowly. Many times if you go and hear War Requiem, they'll stop between the, the movements and read poetry or uh, letters from soldiers. So right away the conductor said, are you going to do anything in the interludes? We talked about the BBC tried to get us to commission new music between each one, but every composer kind of said they'd just feel like an appetizer to the main event which is probably true and good of them to be humble. Uh, and so we just kept living in that question of, well, what do we need to happen? I'd seen that Seafoam film at hit one of his exhibitions in Basel and I was kind of obsessed with it. A few other films of his that I was quite obsessed by that we tried but didn't work. Tried some video games, had some footage from Afghanistan. We tried lots of things. And then the military expert, I knew I wanted the kids to march because that's part of the story. And the conductor, as soon as he saw the casket entering and the folding of the flag, he really liked the realism of the voices underneath it. You know, a lot of great conductors always say opera is not silent film. The weirdest thing is when everyone's singing and they're in a crowd scene and it's all fake. They want you to texture it with real life. So when he's, he just said, no, keep the language. It's, it's chilling to hear a child say, quick march, stand up about turn left, right, you know? So he was just fantastic about saying that's part of the truth, so let's keep that as part of the world. And I think it really helps bridge those transitions which can be tricky if when you're making an oratorio become a through event. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little more about um, working within the medium of the opera because it's such a, it's a medium with a long tradition and history and um, um, and especially it also has different limitations and constraints which are imposed by the text, by the music, there's a limitation of time. And I was wondering for you as an artist, um, what, how did you deal with that and were there things that you had planned and you weren't able to do because of these other uh, media within the opera that had their own, um, own sort of ways of being? It, and it isn't an opera, <laughs> but we are in the English National Opera. It's, uh, it, I guess that was particularly interesting. The presence of different That people. I wasn't, uh, I didn't have to, um, to make my version of Don Giovanni, because there was no Don Giovanni. There, there was simply no, no visual reference uh, for this. Um, and um, so I can't really say what it allowed me or not allowed me because it somehow was an organic process uh, um, that um, yeah, grew into the available space and occupied as much and as little as, as seemed necessary. You know? and, um, but I didn't feel particularly um, sort of threatened or inti no, no, uh, intimidated by it because um, you know, there are many, many examples of, of artists, you know, like this summer, uh, Georg Baselitz did an opera in Munich, uh, Neo Rauch in Salzburg or Bayreuth. Um, it, it in a way happens all the time. Uh, you worked here with Anish Kapoor. Um, and I guess a lot of them want to break rules. Uh, I never felt I need to break rules. You know, like, um, I never wanted to particularly shock or not shock or um, be wild or not. It, uh, it, um, it really felt... Um, the only thing that I felt uh, um, important was to um, never be seen uh, manhandling Britain's war requiem in a, in a wrong way. You know? um, one note uh, I mean, observation I found uh, was incredible to see the calm of um, of everybody working alongside Daniel. You know, the the music, the all the different departments. Um, how calm you were in the last weeks um, when things clearly were not perfect yet, and um, and they knew we would land. Um, like for us, uh, Monday was really the big day. Um, Monday evening was the, our last scheduled run-through and, um, 
um, and it all landed on that moment at 6.30. Um, and, uh, and you experience that, I guess, all the time, no? that you have to land on that moment, but that it doesn't look great 10 days before is no uh, reason for panic, because that is what it is. No? And everybody gets tighter and tighter and tighter, and it, and it was incredible to see that Monday show, that suddenly everything was one notch up, right? and then today it went another notch up, and Friday, I hope, it's, um, but it's, yeah, it was incredible to see, the, um, observe, witness the um, professionalism of, of people working here, and the importance, uh, not the importance, the impossibility of being late. It just cannot be late here. No, like, like one morning I actually was incredibly late and I chose to, no, I can't come, I, I just am sick uh, because here yeah, I'm not coming in at all rather than be late. <laughs> um, because, anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I was st struck by uh, your almost last comment about preserving the Requiem, that it's not an opera, that you're not creating your Don Giovanni. Do you not feel that you've turned it into an opera? I, I will tell you that my feeling this morning was that this is quite a remarkable transformation. And the music, I don't know how much you were influenced by the music itself, but the music transformed in this way has taken on a kind of form that is operatic. I mean, I'm a, I, um, I must say, like, when one day last week, I thought, I mean, this is actually an opera. It is incredible how this has come to, uh, to life. And, and it is, uh, I thought, like, good on Daniel that he took that risk to fill this with, with life because none of these pictures existed before. You know, I mean, this is quite incredible. No? And, and, I mean, I'm um, uh, proud to have been part of that process because we were literally creating these pictures but it was you who really and and and, and that was fascinating i i was always observing him talking in a um, much more floral way he was like uh, about all these emotions and this and that and uh, but i realized he needs to do that in order to, he needs to over project in a way for then the action to even come into being because there is no action beforehand. You know? So I also think it is quite a transformative thing. And like now there is this what didn't exist before. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.